golf and rock and roll. Not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We were born to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. I love to play. Hey, bring me another bucket of balls. We love it. And turn on the lights. I love to play. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4, in the house, Holly G, along with... Special guest tonight, the one, the only, from PGATour.com, Jeff Shane. How are you doing tonight? How is Ricky Fowler doing? That's what I want to know, Jeff, after letting a couple of days uh, sink in on this all-world clutch win at the TPC. Your thoughts, you were there. It was was really kind of... Uh, it was amazing in that how it played out, and not, and, and not just because we had Ricky Fowler and we had Sergio Garcia, but so many times when we get into a tight race at the end of the Players' Championship and it's two horses or three horses or whatever, how many times have we seen it end with one of the horses going glub and dumping it into the water at 17, and it becomes anticlimactic? Not one of those guys, not Sergio, not Ricky Fowler, not Kevin Kisner, and not Ben Martin, if you want to throw him into the equation either, not one of them. And Bill Haas. And Bill Haas. None of those guys really blew it by dumping it in the water on on 17 or 18. They all came to the 18th green with a shot, and it was... I am one of those that subscribes to the to the idea that this was the most compelling players championship since I've started covering golf. And, and that goes back a decade and a half. Uh, you can maybe compare it in terms of excitement to what uh, Craig Perks did, because that, that was so improbable, especially for a guy like Craig Perks. But uh, Ricky went one better because uh, he went birdie eagle birdie birdie. Even to get into this thing, and then six won it. under with six holes to play. <laughs> I mean, uh, five back with six holes to play. Talk about having a fifth gear. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he certainly waited until the last possible moment. But nobody has played those last four holes better. And then you extend it into the playoff and, and four more holes. And the the great thing about Ricky in seventeen is he hit it closer and closer. Every time he went from seven feet to five feet to four and a half feet, made it every time. Uh, we talk about how that that hole takes guys apart and is intimidating. Boy, uh, not that any of those guys was intimidated at 17, but Ricky Fowler's moxie really came out on that hole. And, you know, clearly he got dialed in on 17. And, you know, one of the guys was saying, if you have the right number in terms of the distance and confidence in the club, you know, you want to stand there all day and go after the flag. <laughs> sure. All right. 
But try that when you've got all that adrenaline pumping in your system, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the shots got better and better. And then, like you say, in the background, you could hear one of the announcers go, ooh, that's dangerous. He takes it over the pin on the right side, right, (laughs) and sticks it four feet. I mean, amazing. It was was as great a performance that we've seen coming down those last three holes, and and he got to do it twice, (laughs) as we've seen from – Anybody at the Players' Championship, uh, and we've talked about, you know, Davis Love shooting 64 on the final day and what a what a scintillating round that was because I think that was 10 shots better than the average score that day. That's how good that round was. Um, Ricky had some very average play the first 12 holes of his day, but, boy, the last 10 holes of his day was pure magic. And as they said coming into the tournament on Sunday – one of the craziest final rounds with I don't know how many players in the mix, 30-some. It was a crazy number. I'm sure it was driving the producer at NBC crazy, <laughs> thinking about how they were going to cover it with so many guys so close you know, to the, to the top. And, and then, you know, coming down the stretch, you know, these guys were just playing, you know, fantastic golf. It wasn't like anybody was fading. You just saw... You know, take this, take that, take <laughs> this, you know, from, you know, a couple of these rookies, uh, a couple of, uh, you know, experienced guys. It was it was just fantastic golf. It really was. I, I believe the numbers we had uh, because the the biggest comeback in players championship history was five shots to start the final round. So they went back five shots. There were 30 guys in that group. Uh, within five shots of the lead. I think within four shots of the lead, they had it paired to 24, 22, something like that. But uh, you're still talking 11 or 12 groups that you've got to follow on Sunday and, and where it's going to come out from. And, well, it came from Ricky Fowler's group. He had to wait an hour to just play that playoff. And that, a lot of times that will be a real dangerous situation because guys go cold, guys lose their mental edge. And Ricky had it. Had, had the right combination all the way through Sunday afternoon. And I was uh, very impressed with how he handled that hour. Did you happen to notice as they were, you know, going back and, and, and uh, watching him, you know, he seemed very relaxed, chatting it up with some of the players. And, you know, it, he didn't just go start grinding away on the range or went back to the putting green, maybe because he thought that number was going to stick. But I thought it was very interesting. He just seemed really comfortable in the moment. Yeah, or it might have been, we'll flip it a little bit, he might have thought somebody was going to get to 13. Um, in fact, the winning score of the previous three years, if you recall, was 13 under. And so I think maybe when he got there, he was thinking, all right, somebody's going to get to 13 and it will have been a nice Sunday. And, and then time elapsed and nobody did, and nobody did, and nobody did. And then he thought, well, maybe I ought to start getting serious about this. And we talk about golf being a game of inches. A guy that had the chance on 18, this Kevin Kisner. Twice. I mean, you know, just a turn, just a that little teeny turn, like Tiger's ball going in at 16 at the Masters. I mean, that's how close it was for this guy to take away the players as his first tournament. Yeah, first time at, at well, not, it was his first tournament at tpc sawgrass he told a great story about having a buddy's trip down to tpc sawgrass and drinking beers and listening to country music and blasting it on the fairways and and things like that but uh 
I it's hard to think of another putt, and there there have been putts that have hung on the edge and 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 have been frustrating, but it seemed like that putt actually peered over the edge, looked down, and said, "Nah, it was that close." I don't understand what kept it out, uh, honestly. And and we're seeing more of Kevin Kisner as the season goes on and as the years go on, and it's I think that this is going to be a, a really good development. We're going to start seeing even more of him, I think. He looked very comfortable there, um, and a lot of the guys on the telecast were saying that, you know, he he just he, he has that look. You know, he he's got the stare. You know, he's got a little bit of the of the Raymond Floyd, you know, <laughs> kind of. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna just rip you apart, stare. And uh, I think he was he the one that was quoted saying, you know. We're not going to fold our tents here, the yeah. first timers. You know, yeah. we're going to we're going to go out and try to win this thing. Yeah, why not us? And and it, it, it's a very good comparison, I think, to Raymond Floyd. I hadn't gone back that far. I was thinking of him, uh, kind of in the bulldog style of Jim Furyk, uh, a, a guy who, by you look at his swing and and all of that, probably shouldn't be where he is, but he has made it work, and his tenacity is his greatest asset. And uh, Kevin Kisner's tenacity may be his greatest asset. We're still learning about him as we go. There's really no hook to him. He doesn't have the great collegiate career. He doesn't have the marketing or any of that. But uh, he's quite a player. Yeah, he played great on a great stage. And then there was Justin Thomas. (laughs) Let's look at his birdies. Two on Thursday, six on Friday, Ten birdies on Saturday, the most ever at the players. Yeah, and that's another young player that I have really been touting, uh, not only here necessarily, but in my work with Prime Sports Network and things like that. I've said a lot of very good things about Justin Thomas. Here's a guy. This is Justin Thomas is Jordan Spieth's peer. He his they're the same age, give or take. They're they good were, buddies, aren't they? Yeah, very good buddies. They they grew up together in junior golf, uh, and, and really were were friends, but also the type of friends that are trying to outdo each other and one up each other. And they still they they still stay together, uh, you know, at a rented house at, at this place and that. And uh, he's led um, Alabama to a couple of collegiate titles. I know we're going to be talking college golf later on here. Um, and I think uh, we're going to see a lot of Justin Thomas. He's of that mold. We're going to see a few of these guys. Daniel Berger is in that same group. We got a couple of guys coming up from the Web.com tour uh, that are going going to be in that group. Patrick Rogers among them from Stanford. Uh, this is a really really great class here, college class or whatever uh, of twenty and twenty one and twenty two year olds that we're going to start seeing a very lot of. Now it was. An absolute great win in terms of Ricky's talent, Ricky's clutchness in the moment. But also, how about a take that Sports Illustrated in terms of this overrated BS, Jeff Shane? Well, that and that's a that's a tough question. And because there's a there's a connotation to that question that is negative and and. And I think that when we read the results and we look at that, we your dander gets up. But when you look at the two guys that tied for the top, and it wasn't just Ricky, it was also Ian Poulter, I think the question was taken as, 
which guys are out there that have more talent that haven't gotten the results out of it yet? Uh, because we know of Ian's great game when we get to match play and in the Ryder Cup, it hasn't translated to wins on the PGA Tour. Same with Ricky. We, he's got the marketing. He's got the image. He's, he, and he's a great guy. Uh, but for all of his runner-up finishes, he only had the one win until Sunday. And so is it a better question to say it, who's the most overrated or who is the biggest underachiever? To this point, well, however you want to phrase it, Ricky Fowler is not an underachiever anymore. That's for darn sure. And uh, like he said, that crystal sitting next to him on Sunday uh, probably took care of his business, like he said. We've got a lot more golf talk tonight as we wrap up the Players' Championship. You're listening to 740 The Game. We'll be right back. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. Asking forgiveness. Got the struggler's blues. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G. Along with my special guest, Jeff Shane from PGATour.com. Uh, okay, so our man behind the glass, Chris, and Rich B. and myself, picked some players last week, Jeff. <laughs> and um, I will say my pick was Sergio. That He was the one I wanted to win. Came yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Very close. And uh, I have to say... My team of Sergio, Billy Horschel, Dustin Johnson, and Justin Rose. We took the top three aggregate score. And yours truly. Beating the boys again. <laughs> what are you talking about? Smacking them. My, I, I had and the hi- spanking them. I had the highest plus, though. That, that's winning, right? Yeah, dude, I know. You're a beginner <laughs> golfer. We're going to let you slide on that. He came in thinking he just had taken it all with his blind draws, right, Chris? I was. I don't. I still think I won. I don't know what you're talking about, Holly. Well, did you was, introduce uh, him to modified Stableford or something? Exactly. Well, while we're on that topic, <laughs> what'd you think of the playoff aggregate? I I loved it. Home run. Absolutely. I've always I, I long thought, and and we'd kind of talked about this, you know, in circles on the side and and such. You know, why does it have to be sudden death? The the three finishing holes, 16, 17, 18, are such great finishing holes that why don't you use them all? And, and the powers that be at the tour finally came around last year. Now, it didn't, didn't get utilized last year. It didn't need it. But, uh, boy, it was great this year. And then, you know what? If, if you've still got guys tied after aggregate, then go have the sudden death thrills and spills at 17 so i thought it was the perfect mix and if it had gone on they were going to go back to 18 which is as tough a drive as you're ever going to see on the pga tour especially in that type of situation and with as dark as it was getting that was going to be even more intimidating because just how far does that lake jut out on the left plenty far well let's (laughs) go to one of our favorite golf insiders He's back with us this week, and he was there wire-to-wire. Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great, great. Um, so I do. I, I picked Sergio as my win winner. Uh, Bob, who did you pick? Because I know you are, like, winning all the dough in the ESPN fantasy pool. 
Yeah, I wish I had my own money on this. Uh, I've <laughs> had a pretty good year so far. It's a shocker. But I actually picked Sergio also last week, and uh, uh, I don't think anybody in our group had Fowler. So I, you know, I, the, the way it works for us, though, is you can only pick a guy one time. And uh, and then and then you're done for the year. So so uh, I don't know. I just had a feeling about him. He's done well there. And and you know if it if it hadn't been for uh, uh, you know for a great Ricky Fowler run there, and, and obviously Kevin Kisner as well. You know uh, Sergio might have won that thing outright. In fact, uh, uh, you know he had a two shot lead on the back nine, and things were sort of a little dull. And and then and then things really got exciting. Obviously. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, he did make that amazing putt on 17 in regulation. and uh, But, you know, not the best, almost a, almost the same shot in the playoff uh, when he came back around to 17. You think he was kind of disappointed? Well, of course he would be disappointed. But what were his thoughts in the press room afterwards? Yeah, I mean, he, um, uh, I, I think he was, was, okay with what happened i mean he, he had a pretty good tournament uh, uh you know i think he was sort of kicking himself for for the back nine uh you know he had a he had a, a two-shot lead um he he didn't birdie the ninth or the 11th uh bird, you know par fives he bogeyed the 14th he didn't really make anything happen from a, from the ninth hole until he got to 16 and then he birdied 16 and then made the long putt on 17 and let's be honest that's you know that's that's very fortunate that that went in. Uh, you know where he hit the ball, you're not expecting to make birdie, and then he kind of did the same thing uh, during the playoff. It was kind of odd. I mean, Sergio has played that hole very indifferently over the years. I mean, two years ago, if you recall, he was in the contention against Tiger and hit two balls in the water there, uh, but yet he won the tournament in '08 by hitting it stiff on that hole against Paul Goidos. So it's kind of odd that he, um, you know, that he did it a second time and. And obviously that was the difference. The other two guys birdied the hole, and he didn't. Uh, and he played those three holes pretty pretty solidly otherwise. So, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if he, you know, obviously you're, you're in a playoff, you have a, a chance to win. He, he probably could have won the tournament in regulation. But you could say that about a, a few other guys, too. I mean, Kisner barely missed his birdie on 18. He would have won in regulation. Uh, Bill Haas, boy, he you know, he's sort of forgotten, but he – he left a lot out there, a lot of short missed putts. He had a six, seven footer for Eagle to tie on 16 and didn't get it in. So, uh, you know, there's always those stories. And uh, one, one, one guy prevailed, and, he, and the way he did it was pretty impressive. Uh, Bob, just uh, kind of curious, your thoughts on Kevin Kisner and his emergence and uh, his tenacity that we've seen here in the last four weeks on the tour. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, he... Maybe the golf gods owe him one. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he... Uh, How did those putts not drop? Yeah. Two of them. And, and you know, you, you can't really fault him. It's, it's, it, he's, he's been in two playoffs now in the past month, and, and, and he's, got, he's gotten beat by birdies. You know, he didn't really do much wrong. It's not like he gave these things away. Um, and, uh, and, he, and he went up against, you know, tough guys, obviously, uh, you know, Jim Furyk at, at uh, Harbortown, and and then you're you're playing against Sergio and Ricky. Uh, obviously, Ricky has only got the had only the one win before, but still, I mean, you know, that guy is pretty seasoned. Played in the Ryder Cup twice. Obviously, Sergio's got what, 16, 18 worldwide wins. 
uh, it's a tough environment, and he hung in there beautifully. You know, uh, ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully something good shines on him because that's some really good golf he's played. It really has been, and uh, it, all three of those guys that he's that 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 uh, he's gone up against in playoffs, they're all top fifteen players in the world, <laughs> and exactly. were before they won. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, you know, it should give him some confidence, you know, and. Uh, uh, he's he's climbed he's climbing up there himself now, and maybe he's going to give himself a few more chances in that uh, in that environment. We're talking to Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Interestingly, we barely mentioned Ricky Fowler last week, Bob, um, and I don't know if you know was he on a lot of people's radar, given that you know he's started off a, a little bit uh, quiet this year, although you know had a decent play at the WGC, but I think, you know, so much buzz on, on Furyk's win, on Jordan Spieth, on Rory, uh, that he maybe was a little under the radar. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think, I think Ricky was under the radar when the back nine began. He was five back, I think, on the 13th tee. The only, except the for, only except for his purple was shoes. Was, was because of the... Uh, you know, the, the poll that had him being overrated, and so he got some attention for that early in the week. But, you know, as the tournament wore on, I, nobody was thinking of him uh, early Sunday afternoon, even late Sunday afternoon. And, and as you mentioned, he had a good match play, but I don't think he had had a top 10 all, all of 2015. No top 10. Uh, and there were questions about him. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure that he was overrated. I, I, you know, I, I, I tend to think maybe overhyped. And that's where, you know, that's where uh, that's a big difference. I mean, he got a lot of attention for a guy who'd only won one time, but I think a lot of it was for good stuff. You know, he's a good guy. He's, he likes kids. He's, he signs autographs. Uh, he wears purple you know, shoes. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the enforcers like him. I mean, and he does have good game. You know, he, I mean, that, what he did on 18 twice. Those drives that he hit on that hole, yeah, uh, and how were really about, impressive. How about and, that? Um, how about that hybrid on sixteen? I mean, uh, yep, you know, to set yep. up the eagle. Yep, I mean that. You know, he he went for it. He knew he had to, and and he pulled it off. And uh, you know, so and and you know, he's done some pretty good stuff in the Ryder Cup for the U.S. It's been overshadowed because they've lost. Uh, but you know, then again, he didn't make the team in 2012. He hasn't been on a Presidents Cup team. It's kind of hard to believe. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's been some downsides. You know, he went through a swing change a little with Butch. He had had some back problems. But let's, you know, he's only 26. Maybe this breakthrough uh, spurs him on some more. Now, we said that, though, three years ago when he won at Quail Hollow. You know, it would be nice to see him back this up now and, and, and have a solid year and, and contend in the majors again as he did last year. Is he one of those guys that – the bigger the stage, whether it's a major, a World Golf Championships event, or whatever, the tougher the course, it seems like that's when Ricky Fowler's game really comes out. Maybe he's not the candidate to win at Humana or Phoenix or New Orleans. It's possible. I mean, you know, his best finishes last year were in the in the majors. He had, what, I guess he was runner-up uh, three times and the fifth at the Masters, and uh, you know, obviously he had a really good chance to win the PGA. You know, he was right there mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, it, it, with Rory and Phil. Um, and, you know, those obviously are the hardest courses. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I would think that he, he needs to break through somewhere, anywhere, you know, a couple of times. It's just, well, it, uh, you, you would think those would come first uh, over, over, the, uh, over, the, over the big target. 
but uh, you know he's played really well in the big ones and and been very average in the in the regular events. Well, leave it to Donald Trump to uh, tweet uh, his his thoughts. Great job by Ricky in winning the players. Finally, your jealous critics can go to hell. Good luck at the U.S. Open. <laughs> there you go. You heard it from the Donald. <laughs> yep, not holding not, not holding back any there. Uh, but uh, you know what's what's interesting is Rick, Ricky's peers like him. Um, so the fact that they are the ones who who call him overrated, and by the way, tied with Ian Poulter. You know, I can make an argument for him, too, that he's not overrated. I mean, you know, he came from nothing. He was, it's a great story that he's even out there. Uh, you know, he was, he was not a heralded player coming up. In fact, he right. was not even a very accomplished player when he turned pro. He was miles away from being able to compete at the highest level. And he's, you know, really kind of willed himself into this position. And he doesn't win as much as people think he should. But then again, maybe he shouldn't have been winning at all. So, um, you know, maybe he'll be next uh, because, uh, you know, I obviously think there, there's a lot of ability with those guys. Well, I think I saw somewhere, Bob, where the, the TV ratings for the TPC were up like 60% over last year. So I would say with the, the likes of Jordan Spieth and Rory and Ricky Fowler, golf is in good hands and that's good for the rest of us. Yeah, no doubt. We we kind of need these young guys to step up, and we've been we've been having that happen. Rory, Jordan, now Ricky. You know, these guys are all young guys. There's still the mix of the older players, like a Furyk winning Sergio, who, you know, he's not exactly old, but he's 35. You know, a guy like that. You've got. It's good to have this mix. It, it would be better if a couple of them could just stick their neck out and win a few times. You know. Uh, Good to have Rory win the match play. Uh, you know, Jordan's won twice this year. Now Ricky's won. Let's have another one of those guys win again and again and, and, and have three or four victory season and, 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 a, and a, the start of a nice little rivalry to, to give us something to grab onto. Well, it's great to have you back with us. And uh, our eyes are now uh, on the U.S. Open out in Chambers Bay. There's a a lot of great golf coming up the rest of this season. We're just getting started. Bob Herrig, ESPN.com. As always, thanks for spending some time with us at the Golf Insiders. Thank you. You're listening to 740 The Game, the Golf Insiders. Stay with us. We've got more golf talk coming up. Todd Lewis checking in with us from the Golf Channel next. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play in pebble. Won't pay the price. I love my muni. I think it's nice. It'd be good to just make hard. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house. Holly Chi, along with my special guest tonight, Jeff Shane. And, um, well... I'll tell you, another person who was getting a fair amount of attention, along with Ricky, his girlfriend, Jeff Shane, <laughs> Alexis Randock. Yes, very much so. And, and in fact, Are they the new power couple? Um, well, give it time. And, you know, she is a bikini model, so it's, you got a good <gasps> foundation there. Um, but, you know, even Jimmy Walker's wife was tweeting afterwards, uh, Jimmy, we got to work on our post-victory smooches here. So there were... 
There were not just guys that were taking notice of this victory celebration. And the and the big embrace afterwards. <laughs> um, yes, that was uh, that was pretty uh, smoochy, I must say. But a guy who was right there, wire to wire, covering it all, as always, one of our favorite insiders from the Golf Channel, Todd Lewis. Hey, Todd. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. So, Ricky, was it the... Purple shoes or um, the overrated comments you think that motivated Tom Lu- Todd Lewis? Uh, well, I, I do think the overrated comment um, was a bit of inspiration for him. But I think the biggest thing for Ricky um, was the fact that he is starting to now develop a killer instinct. Um, he and Butch Harmon developed. A great swing. If you look at his swing, I mean, I was speaking with Randall Chambly about his swing, and it is really fundamentally sound. And uh, he maximizes the power out of his frame. And he, I mean, if you've been around Ricky Fowler, if you've seen Ricky Fowler, he's not a big guy. I mean, for him to hit 330-yard-plus drives on the 18th hole a couple of times, I mean, that's impressive. So he built in the mechanics with that swing. But Butch Harmon, who's as much of a mental coach as he is a swing coach, has been trying to instill that killer instinct, that go-for-your-throat mentality that he, that he feels like, Butch feels like, he needs to have to win big events. And Ricky has told me that that's kind of out of character for him because he's such a nice guy. I mean, if I had a daughter, I'd, I'd want her to date someone like Ricky Fowler. Um, so it's been hard for him to develop that, but I think – we're starting to see some of that creep in on the golf course with him, and we definitely saw it uh, in the final third of his uh, rounded regulation when he goes six under through six holes. That's, that's quite impressive. I, I felt like once he started making a few birdies on uh, coming down the stretch, he wanted to make more. He wanted to put the foot on the floor, and, and that's that new attitude I think Ricky has now in these big moments. Yeah, and you did, a, or I should say the Golf Channel did a great piece with Michael Breed on um, Morning Drive Monday just about uh, the, you know, how Ricky's swing has changed and also distinguishing how, how uh, important Butch Harmon has been, both from you know, the teaching aspect, but also now you know, we tend to refer to these guys these days as swing coaches, and the coaching is really about you know, getting into your player's mind and getting them to learn how you know how to dig deep into their soul, and there were some moments, probably on Saturday, Ricky said that you know in the past that round might have turned into a seventy-five versus what he got out of it, and then turning it around on Sunday when he had kind of a you know kind of a sleeper few holes there between eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, you're right, and again that goes to the mental discipline that he has developed with Coach Harmon. I mean, let's not forget the the great stable of players that Butch Harmon has tutored. Um, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Adam Scott. Uh, so, you know, an impressive list of players. Now he has Jimmy Walker, Brant Snedeker. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's just quite, quite an impressive list. Um, and because of that, Ricky really, really respects Butch Harmon. As a matter of fact, a quick story, and I took this picture and put it on Twitter. If you go to at Todd Lewis GC, you can see it. But I was actually at the celebratory dinner with Ricky. His family was kind enough to ask me to sit down with him for a few moments. And golf, uh, live from the, the players was on, and an interview with Coach Harmon came up, and I said, Ricky, you should listen to this interview. It's incredible. He got up off the table, 
with the championship trophy in his hand and stood in front of the TV, ignoring everything else that's happening around him, to listen to what Butch Harmon had to say about his performance. That's how much Butch means to Ricky Fowler. So it's a nice moment, and uh, I, I think this is just the beginning for Ricky Fowler. Um, I think he's going to put himself in position to win major championships again, and I think he's going to accomplish that goal of winning major championships moving forward. Uh, that was going to kind of be my, my next question there, Todd, is, uh, is three years ago when he won at Wells Fargo, we said this is going to be a breakthrough, and then we had to wait and wait and wait. But one right. thing that I have noticed, and I'm sure you have too, is the bigger the stage, the tougher the golf course, the more likely we are, it seems, that we're going to see Ricky Fowler up around the lead on the weekend. Well, there's no doubt. He, Like I said, he does have that great fundamental swing established by Butch Harmon now. But, I mean, when, when you win the players, I mean, that, that's no, no disrespect to the Wells Fargo Championship, which is a great, great tournament, and it's going to host a major championship in a couple of years. But winning the players is something special. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's not a major, but it's like diet major. It's close. Um, so... I think that this is just going to make him hungrier. And I think Butch Harmon is going to make sure that this makes him hungrier. That, you know, you wanted to win a big event, you got it. Now the question is, Ricky, do you want to be remembered as a guy who's won two or three times in the PGA Tour that includes the players, or do you want to be considered a great, great player? For that to happen, then you're going to have to put more work in. The bar has been raised and is now up to you, and I think Ricky's up for that challenge. Well, the Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow Club in Charlotte, Ricky winning that in 2012. Some, um, you know, some marquee players, eight of the top 20 that will be playing this week and weekend, uh, including Ben Martin, who had a you know, great finish. He was right there towards the end. Kevin Kisner again playing, Rory McIlroy. Uh, and Bill Haas, so this, this, the tournament, and Jim Furyk. So there's some great guys in the, in the field. And Phil Mickelson, who, by the way, is the, the uh, leading money winner at the Wells Fargo Championship, even though he's never won. He's got, uh, he's played 11 times. He's made the cut every time, and he's got nine top 15 finishes and five top five finishes. So he's he seems like he's in the mix just about every time he tees it up at Quill Hollow. I spoke with, with Phil today. Um, he was a little bummed out that. He didn't make the cut at the players, but he loves Quill Hollow. He seems re-energized. And I, and I walked and talked to Rory McIlroy, who's just wrapping up his program around right now. And uh, he worked on his putting with Dave Stockton. That really bothered him at the players. Um, he feels like he's got some of those issues worked out. Um, I can tell you he seems fresh and energized because he's in the middle of a long stretch himself all over the world playing golf. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great championship. It really is. Uh, some final thoughts in terms of Tiger, his play, and, um, you know, were you surprised at how he finished? <laughs> I, I just kept, I, you know, I watched that incredible play uh, down the stretch, and I'm not saying Tiger's going to win again, but I'm just t- stating what I'm seeing right now. First off, Tiger plays only big events with great fields. I mean, he's not playing the Wyndham or the John Deere or anything like that. So that being said, He's going to have generally eight of the top ten players in the world playing the events that he's playing. And if, if, like, let's say three of those guys that week are on that game, are on their game, rather, three of the 
eight of the top ten that are playing the field. Can Tiger beat them? Can Tiger's best right now beat top ten players in the world's best if they're on their game? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, at least right now. Um, so he's still got some work to do. I'm a little surprised that if he wants to get better, that he is not playing more competitive golf. I mean, he really does have a light schedule. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to go down to medalist and shoot 65, but, you know, put yourself up against 143 of the world's best and see what you got. And, you know, you're going to make some mistakes, but with these competitive at-bats, i got to feel like you're going to get better and you're going to get a lot of that confidence back. So I don't know how he should do it, you know, whether it's Chris Como or not Chris Como. I'll let all the guys who know the swings talk about that. And, you know, and Tiger's trying to figure it out too. But I do think in order to get better, you've got to play more competitive rounds. All right, Todd. Well, we'll let you get back to work. We appreciate you spending a few minutes with us, as always. And uh, a great promo going on at the Golf Channel. 25 days of live golf. It starts this Thursday, correct? That's right. Starts uh, with the Wells Fargo. Awesome. Free game. We love the Golf Channel, and we love our Todd Lewis. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it. You got it. Listen to 740 The Game, The Golf Insider. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more golf talk. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so mean. I got We're back. The Golf Insiders. Taking you home on the fairways of I-4, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk in the house, Holly G, along with Jeff Shane from PGATour.com. What do you think about Todd's comments about Tiger, Jeff? I, I think they're actually really spot on the more we think about it. I mean, uh, we respect what Tiger has done. He's really come a long way since he was here for the uh, for the Hero World Challenge, but... Take a look at the last 10 winners of, of non-opposite field events. I'm, I'm going to throw out Alex Jake. All respect to Alex at, in Puerto Rico. Here are the last 10 winners on the PGA Tour. Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Matt Every. Okay. Jimmy Walker, J.B. Holmes, Jordan Spieth again, Jim Furyk, Justin Rose, Rory McIlroy, and Ricky Fowler. Of those, all but Every were ranked in the top 20 before they won and are obviously now in the top 20 after their wins. This is a tough nut to crack. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So we're coming to that time of the year when we turn our thoughts to college golf and big event coming here to Florida, the NCAA Division I Men's and Women's Championship which will be played at the Concession Golf Club over in Bradenton, Florida. And we love to bring in the guru of collegiate golf from Golf Week at this time, Lance Ringler. Hey, my friend. Hey, Holly. Where are you now? I'm at home in Indiana. Ah, well, uh, kind of break it down for us. Um, what's well, happening in terms of the uh, the the playoffs? Well, the, the women uh, have already played and are, the field is set to head to the concession club next week. Uh, the men start tomorrow, regional play. In fact, there's a regional up right up here in Indianapolis that I am heading to for the next three days. 
And uh, the, the men have six regionals that get started tomorrow. And the top five teams at each of those six sites, six sites will then follow the women at the concession club for about you know, two straight, well, you call it two weeks, two weeks of college golf action right there in, uh, in Florida for the national championship. So who should we be keeping our eyes on? I know um, Arizona State's up there, the University of Oklahoma. Who else should yeah, well, we be watching? Well, on the men's side this year, it's, it's, it's kind of unlike any year we've seen in recent history. We have, we have Florida State, Illinois. Illinois is actually ranked number one in the golf week poll. Florida State uh, right there with them. Arizona State, Texas. Uh, there are this year I've called it. There's a lot of ones, one A's, one B's, two A's, two B's. I mean, there's not really anybody that separates themselves like we've seen in the past. Like, you know, we've, we've gotten used to some dominance with players and teams. And this year there are a number of teams that are good. We'll have 30 teams at the men's championship. And I would say, you know, it's safe to say that maybe as many as 20 to 25 of them could find their way into match play, which is the top 18. So, and it's the same way on the women's side this year. We've, met, we've, we've never seen this much parity. So it's, it's going to be a wild couple of weeks, Holly. Uh, hey, uh, Lance, this is Jeff Shane with, with PGATour.com. The, the women's side is also going to the, the team match play now this year. And, and I know we've seen a lot of exciting matches on, on the men's side with Texas beating Alabama and, and Augusta State or whatever they call it now, uh, when, when Patrick Reed was, was on that squad. Do you, do you uh-huh. sense the same type of, of excitement that we're going to get out of the women's matches when they go to this team match play? Well, Jeff, obviously match play creates that sort of excitement um, for the most part, especially team match play, because you, you, you have five matches going on, and, and typically, typically your scores are three to two. Uh, that's just the way it usually <laughs> figures out. And with the women, um, yeah, I think it's going to be exciting from the standpoint – of in the history of women's golf at the NCAA level, you have never seen really a team outside the top three or four win a national championship. Purdue won a national championship in 2010, and they were ranked like sixth in the country. So it wasn't like that Purdue team was a fluke. Uh, they were a good golf team. This year, you know, much like the very first year the men had match play at Inverness Club when Texas A&M won. Now, don't get me wrong, Texas A&M was a good golf team that year. They were ranked 12th coming into the championship. But still, when the 12th-ranked team wins a national championship, people kind of turn their heads and consider that somewhat of an upset. We could very likely, for the first time in the history of women's golf, see a team ranked outside the top five or six win the national championship. And that's going to have some, some negative, uh, negative comments, but it's also going to create a lot of excitement because it brings a lot more, uh, a lot more teams into play. So, yeah, I, I do see that there, it will be probably – pretty excited on the women's side this year yeah sounds like it and, and as a pac 10 guy i'm i'm kind of glad to see that there are four pac 10 teams among the top six in the women's side yeah the pack the pack 12 yes yeah it shows my age is, it, yeah is clearly uh the most dominant conference right now and and probably when you break it down men and women uh the, the pack 12 has six teams at the women's championship and the sec has six but uh i'd say the pack 12 is a little bit stronger we're talking to Lance Ringler from Golf Week. Uh, Lance, let's talk about the golf course, the concession. Uh, a course yeah. I know well. I, I handled the marketing for a, a number of years. And uh, this is one tough track. It was a co-design between Tony Jacklin and Jack Nicholas. The name, um, 
you know, legendary with the famous concession putt uh, in the Ryder Cup. And, I mean, they love to put on big events. This is going to be truly special for the players. Yeah, you know, I've had a chance to to visit there. I think you, I might have met up with you when I was down there a few years ago. But, uh, you know, it uh, it definitely, um, I've heard things, the greens, I I don't, are going to be a a good match play course, uh, the way the putting surfaces go. I know that there's a lot of hazards. Um, yeah, it's probably going to be really good for match play, and it's going to create a lot of excitement and drama because, you know, from what I understand, every hole out there is a, can be a bear. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then the other thing is a lot of teams, I don't, you know, a good, I'm not sure when the last time the NCAA championships was played in Florida. It's, it's been a long time. And that that surface, the, the putting, the, the grasses that a lot of these teams are going to uh, – the face are going to be something a little bit different and uh, something a lot of them aren't used to. So, yeah, we're, well, I think we're in for an interesting couple of weeks, that's for sure. And some great coverage on the Golf Channel. So it's a wonderful opportunity to see our up-and-coming players because we're already starting to see them pop on the PGA Tour uh, like the likes of Jordan Speed. So uh, we appreciate, right. Lance, uh, you spending a few minutes with us. Don't forget to go to golfweek.com as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jeff Shane, thanks for being here tonight. And uh, who's your pick? We just got about 10 seconds for this weekend. Um, McElroy, Roy McElroy, being a past champion, still playing well, so you got to put him in the mix. Uh, I'll, I'll throw a name out here. Hideki Matsuyama has got to win sometime soon. Mm, okay. Who? Let's see. Louis Oosthuizen. Louis's been posting some pretty good scores. Uh, you've got Bill Haasen. Uh, the mix, as well as, ooh, Henrik Stenson. He could use something to fire up his season. Uh, has been sick a little bit, but uh, I'm going with Kevin Kisner. Okay, go with the dark horse. All right, <laughs> we're out of here. The Golf Insiders will be back next week. Thanks for listening.